you don't, might not know the name Charles Blondin, but he um, had the horrible idea, or a clever idea, I guess, to string up a rope that was about three football fields long across the Niagara Falls area. So from one side to the other, and then he decided to, back in about 1859, decided that he was going to walk across it. And so the first round that he did it, he was successful. And there are people on both sides, on the Canadian side and on the U.S. side, that are, that are cheering him along, and it probably did too good of a job because uh, they ended up kind of egging him along. So, so the next time that he does it, uh, we're told that historically that he did it blindfolded. Um, another time he was halfway across, and he brought with him a stove, and he cooked breakfast in the middle of the thing. I don't, I don't know who thinks of these things, right? But, but he kept doing bigger and better, and they, something well stilts, and there's some amazing pictures if you look this up. It's, it's amazing. But one of the things that he did was that he took a wheelbarrow, and he filled it full of potatoes. And he walked across with this wheelbarrow, and he made it to the side. And, and somebody in the audience, uh, the way the, that we're told, the, that, that somebody in the audience said, why don't you put a person in there? Uh, and so he heard this and cleverly asked if there were any volunteers and there were no volunteers, right? So, so what those people, those sickos were doing is they, they wanted to watch him risk his life, right? But they weren't ready to crawl in the wheelbarrow. Well, a couple of days later, his manager, the person who had spread the word about, about all of these things around, he ended up crawling on the back of this man. And together, the, the pictures are amazing, together they walk across the tightrope, across, and, and they survived. It's an amazing story, right? Now, for me, when it comes to missions, especially after last week, if you were here last week, we heard a great message that was challenging us to say, say, what, is it, what does it look for us to love our neighbors like, like Christ loves them? What does it mean for us to, to participate in what God's doing? And I can't help but think that often we're exposed to these great people and kind of like the individuals in the audience that we stand back and we go, well, way to, way to go. That's, that's amazing. You keep that up. We're so glad that you're doing this important thing. But what the Lord has asked us to do, I, I like this statement, that his mission is ultimately your and my mission. What he's asked us to do is to not just be on the sidelines and say, boy, you keep it up. God, you do this. You remember, biblically, it says that the, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his mission statement. That's what he's committed to seeing fulfilled in our lives, that those who are lost are found. And it's not just that we stand back and we go, way to go. That's amazing. You keep it up, God. You do this thing. But instead, what he's chosen to do is to give us the privilege to partner with him in this mission. And, and for some of us, I'm guessing that his mission isn't always our mission. Now, for some of us, if we could get, get your smart speaker out, you know, the one that's listening into you all the time, then we could ask it really, what is this person's mission? And you're, you guys know it's always listening, right? Uh, the Alexas and the, uh, the all these, uh, did anybody's go off? No, okay. You, you know they're listening, but if we could sift through that data, what would it tell us about the mission of your life? Is it, are you one of those that's, that's fighting to be a millionaire before you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50? Is it to get straight A's? Is it to be mom of the year? 
Is it to, we could go on. I, I think for all of us men, I think we have this belief that we're still going to be a professional athlete someday. Uh, only a few of you can relate to that. Like someday, right? That's my mission. You, you, you have these things that are built into you, your, your vision for your life. But, but what I pray for us and what I believe God's word communicates to us is that you and I have the potential of being a part of the mission that God wants to do. So, so his pleasure can be my pleasure. His mission can become my mission. I, I worked at a restaurant when I was in seminary and there was this woman that was there. It was a five-star restaurant, but she, uh, she, she drove a Lexus. She was super gifted. She was an amazing, amazing waitress. And one of the things that she shared with me is that she, you guys have heard this at Chick-fil-A, she'll say my pleasure often. And she said, I believe that this is my privilege and my pleasure to serve someone. And I think of that word and I think that that's what my Lord deserves from me, is for me to see his pleasure to be my pleasure. And so this morning, we're going to begin with a statement. It's, it's in giant letters behind me, but that, that, that the hope of the nations, when you saw that for the first time, I'm sure that there was something that went through your mind. Who is the hope of the nations? What's the hope of the nations? Well, it's interesting. The longest quotation of the Old Testament in the New Testament is found in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 12, verse 17. If you'll turn with me to this passage, this is fascinating because it was a statement in the Old Testament that described that someday there was going to be a prophet who would come who would fulfill these things. And then in Matthew, the Lord Jesus is actually coming under pressure from people. He's forgiving people. He's doing miracles. He's, he's messing with their plans and the Sabbath. And and then the Lord Jesus quotes these words, and it's recorded in the book of Matthew. And, and at the end of this, he's going to say this statement. He is the hope of the nations. So, so Jesus knew who the hope of the nations was. If you'll follow along with me in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 17, it says this. Here is my servant whom I have chosen the one I love and in whom I delight, I will put my spirit upon him. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was baptized, the, the, the skies open up and it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know that I believe that the Lord, can, that the king of the universe, the God of the universe could say that very thing about you, that, that he can say about you that you are his beloved child it says this, and the Lord Jesus quotes this. He says, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. They, they thought this was going to be a conquering Messiah, but instead it was going to be one that was subtle but came to seek and to save that which was lost through his work on the cross. And then it says this, in his name, the nations will put their hope. In his name, the nations will put their hope. You know, we accept that, that Jesus is the name that the nations can put their hope in. Jesus knew it. As believers, for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, I hope that you know that that's who the hope of the nations is. This passage in Romans, we're going to look at the first verse and then we're going to look at the following verses briefly together today. 
But this verse is so helpful because it says something that may be familiar to you. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a beautiful statement. But then it goes on to say that not everybody knows the name of the Lord. Unfortunately, there are some people who do not know the hope of the nations. They don't know his name. And I love this, this concept. It's so helpful for me to, to, to put this in a statistical way to kind of give us a sense of how blessed we are to have access to the gospel, but that not every person has access to the gospel. This passage in Romans goes on to say, but how can they call on a person who they've never heard of? In, in America today, what we believe about this uh, about, about our understanding of the gospel and how many people are Christ followers, just the sheer number of people who know the story of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if you went to knock on doors around your neighborhood, statistically, they say that it would take about six, six doors that you'd have to knock on. Now, some of you uh, are thinking about your own neighbors. You're like, Sean, you don't know my neighbors, right? But, but six people you'd knock on to find a person who could articulate for you, the truth of the gospel. That's, that's on a statistical average. In some places around the world that have low access to the gospel, it may be some 500 doors that you would have to knock on. But there's some places in our world, you heard in this video earlier, that there's some 3 billion people who have limited or no access to the gospel. That statistically, they say that it would take about 30,000 doors that you would have to knock on in order to find a person who would be able to articulate the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to shock us, it ought to embolden us, it ought to remind us of the fact that we have something that's been given to us that is precious. So in the, the earlier image, it, it said, so how can they believe in someone that they've never heard of? How, how can they know if they haven't had someone share it with them? Uh, earlier or elsewhere in the, in the book of John chapter 10 for 16, it says this, I have no other sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them back also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. It's a beautiful phrase. And in this passage in Romans, as we look at this, I want you to see with me, it's going to talk about your feet and it's going to ask you what it's going to ask us to consider what it means to be a messenger of the hope that we've received ourselves in verse 13 it says this for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved and how then will they call on him whom they've not believed and how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, preach good news. So how are your feet, church? Are you an ambassador with the truth? Do you care about the 3 billion people, 4,000 people groups representing 40% of the world's population that have little or no chance to hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ? We accept that there's some that have chosen to ignore the message of Christ. Uh, we, we accept that there's some have chosen to reject him. And if you knocked on some of those doors, you'd probably have, have people who say, I want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 13, the Lord gave us this powerful parable, the parable of the soils. And, and the story that Jesus told is that he said that there's going to be some people 
who received the message of the gospel. It's kind of like seeds tossed that's going to land on a sidewalk. And those are the people who are atheists, agnostics. They, they reject the gospel. There's going to be some that it falls on rocky soil. They have no root. It, it never is established for them personally. There's going to be others that, that it says that the deceitfulness of wealth and the weariness of life choke it out. But then finally it says there's going to be some who received the message and it's going to produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. This is a convicting passage for me, but also encouraging that it's not about the skill of the sower. It's not about the message even. The message is the same in all cases. It's just some people choose to reject it. If you study your Bibles, you've studied Romans chapter 1 that, that some misinterpret to say that Romans 1 is this articulation that in God's invisible, in his visible creation, that a person can stand back and just see his handiwork all around and therefore that can lead to their salvation. And actually Romans 1, if you study it, it actually says that really it gives us no excuse because of God's design that we see around us, that, that the judgment that we receive is because of the fact that we've chosen to reject that God. But what breaks my heart is that there's some people who've been, been exposed to the handiwork of God, but that have never been exposed to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love the way J. Oswald, Oswald J. Smith puts it, as a Canadian pastor, Christian missionary pastor, Alliance pastor, at one time, he says the same, and how can I justify hearing the gospel twice before some have even heard it once? I, I so resonate with that. It, it means so much to me to, to consider this, how, how beautiful the access is that I have to the gospel. Now, now I don't know if any of you know what this is. Um, this, this fish is as big as I am. It's massive. And they just discovered uh, this species of fish in the last two years. And so um, they did, I uh, guess, what we do, and that is they killed it. Um, so they could figure out um, a little bit more about it. I'm not sure if it died or what. But, but they named this, this fish. Now, before this, if you were exposed to it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what it was, right? And I want you to imagine with me for a second that that I had the privilege of traveling to Euclid in Canada, in British Columbia, on a missions trip with some missionaries several years back. And we were in this amazing community. And in this community, we had the privilege of bringing the gospel there. And we had prepared a, a number of lessons that we were going to share with the kids. And we we're going to start with John 3.16. And, and I'll never forget, it was so moving for me. As I was in the, the process of teaching, and it's probably started with a cheesy story and trying to get their attention and trying to encourage them. And, and as we get to this, this conversation about God creating the world and God so loved, and this little kid raises his hand and he looks up and he says, what is God? I'll tell you, that, that gripped my heart because I've grown up in a, in a place where I have access to that information. I know that God personally. But the concept of God in his life had never been established before. And to accept that when we talk about the cross and when we accept the work of the cross, that there's some people in the world that have never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it reminds me, it encourages me, it inspires me that it can be my privilege to allow a person to know the name of God. For me to have the privilege to be a small part of having a person be introduced to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I, I like the way that this is stated in Psalm 67. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there to Psalm 67. That in Psalm 67, it says, let the nations be glad. That this isn't exporting some form of religion that is putting chains on individuals, but instead that this is a privilege to be able to represent the loving kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ought to be a source of tremendous joy to those who receive it. I love this, this statement. Psalm 67 is an, an unusual psalm. We don't know who the author was. But what we do know is that it contains this truth that is so profound. And as it's declared, it's saying, as we stand back and see creation, that, that it's possible to know the creator. And it ought to resonate in joy in the recipient of that truth. Begin with me in Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1. Starts with this great historical Jewish blessing. May God be gracious to us and to bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah. That word selah means think and act on these things. That, that you're called to reflect on God's provision and his goodness and his blessing. And then it goes on to say in verse 2. That your way may be known on earth your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. And then it goes on in verse four. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. May they revere him. May they sing for joy. I love this word that's repeated in this section of scripture. Let it be. Let it happen. May it be possible. We, we don't want to just be people who stand back and say, yeah, you got this. Keep it up. But instead, we want to be people that join in what God's doing to let the nations be glad, to be a source of their joy and happiness. Some of you know that in the earliest years of the church that it started in this region that was called the Fertile Crescent. It was described as being one of the most naturally fertile places in the world at that time. And what happened was that the world's trade routes went right through this area. So when the Lord established this place as the place where his nation would be, that they would be a blessing to all nations, that they're a thoroughfare of truth to be able to offer the loving kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in reference, H.C. Leopold, to this passage of scripture that we just read in Psalm 67, he said this, he said, already in the days of old, God's people understood that truth was given both to save them and to have them spread it abroad among those who had it not. One of the saddest days for me was when I was on a mission trip in Honduras and there was a, a tour that was given at an old site where it was an Inca site. And they talked about a blood sport that they used to play that was similar to basketball where, where they would add hoops and, and the rubber ball. And, they, and then, but basically the tour guide at, during this process says at the end of the time, sometimes the winners were killed Sometimes the losers were killed. Sometimes the referees, they, they describe all of this. And then they showed us this rock and it was just horrifying. 
There's this giant rock that we, the, the tour guide described it as this is designed to, after these individuals were sacrificed, to be able to see the most blood during their death. It was designed to glorify their death. And I, and I just had that sickness in my stomach. Can you imagine believing somehow that that's what honors God? Can you imagine the darkness and the confusion of a group of people that were so stuck in darkness? And it reminded me of a, a story that one of my missions professors used to tell in seminary. And he said that there was an anthropologist that went to Fiji to visit an ancient tribe that was in the 1800s that had been a longstanding tribe and then um, that he wanted to, to go study this, so he wasn't invited, but he goes into this, this village. And um, after a while, he gets a chance to interact with the chief, and, and basically he says to the chief, your village is amazing. Uh, it's, it's so sp special to see this village, but, but why did you allow the missionaries to come in? And, and he was a, a non-believer. He's, he's articulating this, like, why did you let them destroy your culture? And the, and the priest sat back, or the, um, the village chief sat back, and he, he smiled, and, and he slowly responded. He said, young man, did you, did you see that, that rock over there when you came in? That's the, the stone that we used to use to kill the uninvited visitors to our village. And then he, he shows them this oven that was designed. He said, that's grotesque, but he said, that's, that's how we cooked those people. And he said, you should be really happy that those missionary came because uh, you probably wouldn't have been able to be, leave our village before they came. But because they came and because they gave us hope that they changed everything here. You know, we've heard stories like this, but I want you to catch that this is our privilege, right? That we get to be a part of this message. And it's one that we accept that as a, as a country, we've been deeply blessed. The Lord has provided for us in so many ways. But the mission for us is crystal clear that when they originally heard in, Matthew, or in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When they originally heard this, they would have known exactly what we were talking about, that these are the regions that are in our backyard. These are the regions that you have to be deliberate about pursuing because the people are like us, but different from us. Or that those individuals that we have to be extremely intentional about, that, that represent the ends of the earth. But I love this statement. You will be my witnesses. You will be a part of this. We're going to study the book of Acts together coming up here in the next few months. And I'm so excited to see the way that the early church grew because there were individuals that were willing to participate in the mission that God had given us. The mission's crystal clear. And those who have received it are called to be generous with the truth of the gospel. And, and the statement there, let them, again, reflects back to what we studied in Romans. Let it happen. Let them, in, in Psalm 67, let them. In other words, we want to be a part of the spreading of the truth of the gospel. Now, there's a number of reasons why we ought to do this. For some the commandment is the thing that motivates us to share the gospel, that we've been told to go and make disciples of all nations. That, that simple, powerful truth in Matthew 28, 18 is, is something that for some of us is a great motivator. For others, we accept that this is a tremendous gift 
to the lost. That, that if we believe in the reality of eternity and that we believe that we can live in the presence of the loving God of the universe that designed us and created us, that, that we believe in the horrors of separation from God for eternity, that there's, there's a, an element of this that it's just accepting. This is a tremendous gift to individuals that, that are lost, that haven't received the truth of the gospel. And again, we join in what it says in the book of Luke chapter 19, where it says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. But finally, this one might surprise some of you, but the last is that this is an act of worship, that, that it gives us the privilege of joining in what God is doing to bring himself glory and honor. In, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As a worshiper of the living God, I want to see more people join in the chorus of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know historically in the book of Revelation that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at some point that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we also accept that we have a lifetime to answer the call of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, to respond to the goodness of the gospel. And so I want to be a part of spreading the joy and worship that my Lord deserves. This is about his glory. This is about him receiving the glory that he deserves. In Romans 1.5, it says this, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all of the nations. We want to be a part of advancing his name for all of the nations. You know, there are plenty of reasons to attempt, there are plenty of, excuse me, excuses to ignore the mission of the Lord, but there's not plenty of reasons. As I have had the privilege of teaching on this subject in, in a number of different settings, in a number, number of different environments, when I ask the question, like, why don't we do this? If we're really honest, there's a few excuses that we use. I just don't know God's word well enough. This is about our personal investment. I, I'm not smart enough. I don't know it well enough. What if they ask a question that I don't know the answer for? You don't know my boss, Sean. You don't know how they're going to respond if they hear that I'm doing this in the environment that I'm in. And I just want to remind you, I want to gently remind you that this privilege is something that he has asked for us to join him in. He's given us the invitation to partner with him in this, this process of advancing the kingdom. And it ought to be something that we ought to respond to with courage, with boldness, with joy. And we ought to do the work to be able to declare the truth of the gospel that we hold so dear in our lives. I think for some reason for Christians, it's possible for us to, to have kind of a defeatist mindset. Like, ah, oh, the, the world's so dark. It's so sad. There's so... But I want to remind you, um, John Piper wrote a powerful book called Let the Nations Be Glad, and I recommend it. And in that book, as I was rereading it recently, this, I came across this statement that he makes. And, and I want us to, to close out our time together just reflecting on this fact that we are on the winning team, that, that we know what the destination is, and, it, and it's going to work. Like we're, we're going to make it across it. It's going to take us faith to trust that the Lord can use even us, that, that we can partner with him. But I like the way that John Piper puts it. He says, we need to be more God conscious so that we can laugh the laugh of faith, knowing that we have power over all 
the power of the enemy. You remember what it says in scripture, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. He has already lost control because of Calvary where the lamb was slain. What confidence and rest of heart this gives us as we face a world in turmoil and in such spiritual need. So, so one of the things that we just accept is that we're on the winning team. We have the privilege of rejoicing with those who are going to rejoice in bringing praise and glory and honor to our king. I want to challenge you in a few ways as we apply this truth in our lives. The first one is that for some of you, you may have been exposed to the church setting, but that initial step of faith in your own life, when we talk about the gospel and even the story of the soils, that you accept that your soil has been more like the sidewalk, that you've ignored the truth of God, you've, you've left that for someone else. And most importantly, on a morning like this, that we wanna accept that that message of hope is a message of hope for you. For those of you who have received this message, like me from a young age, for those of you who are willing to say, I'm ready to take the next step to be a part of what God's doing, I wanna encourage you to recognize, one, that this is an act of obedience. This is an act of love. This is an act of worship, but it's got to be an act. We have to put it in action. We have to choose to let go the things that keep us safe and secure and move into partnering with what God wants to do around the world. I'm honored, we're honored to be a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Like I mentioned, I love that that missions is our middle name as a church and as a denomination. And some of you may not know this, but the Christian and Missionary Alliance as a denomination, it's a smaller one, but it gives more money to, to fund the advancement of the Great Commission than any other denomination in the world. It might shock you, but it, it's because this is such an important part of our denomination and our convictions as a church. We take this really seriously. And Allie and I have had the privilege of seeing our international workers, the kind of ministry that they do around the world. It's amazing. And it's so encouraging. And so one of the things that we can do as a church body is that we can help to resource those who are doing this around the world. So we can partner with them and the extension of their ministry is an extension of our understanding of the investment in the kingdom. As a church this last year, we gave about $60,000 to help to go towards the Great Commission Fund. Something I'm praying for is that God would double that number this year, maybe even today. That individuals would sacrificially say that we're gonna give in such a way that we could see this be, be something that, that we are, as a church, supporting at least a family to serve around the world. Another way that we can partner in what God's doing around the world is for some of us, maybe that he's calling us to take the next step towards this. We're praying for this as a staff team. We're praying that God would raise up in our church individuals that say, I'm in. It, it's time. I'm, I'm ready to, to leave what's comfortable I'm ready to, to stop just being, being a, cheer, a cheering fan of what God wants to do, and I'm ready to join him in what he's doing. That may be here. That may be in our backyards. That may be around the world. But I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to ask the Lord, what are you asking of me? And you know what, what I believe is that I believe if we do this, I believe if we take this seriously, if we accept this call in our life, then we will have the privilege of sharing the hope of the nations. And we also have the privilege of declaring boldly, let the nations 
be glad. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we love you and we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you that in our country, we have access to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we, we know your truth, that we've been exposed to it in a very personal and intimate way. And I pray for each and every individual that's here, even those who've heard it many times, that, that we would be like the people that you described, that receive the gospel and then inherently produce a crop of the gospel that's 30, 60, or 100 times what's been sown in our lives, that we reproduce the truth of the gospel, whether that's here in Brunswick and Medina and Cuyahoga County, where, wherever you have us, Lord, would we be ambassadors for your loving kindness to bring worship and glory and honor to you as our King of kings and our Lord of lords. And beyond that, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to have the privilege of partnering with those who are doing it. We want to celebrate their work. We also want to join them in what they're going to do. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage and the conviction to not just celebrate your work, but to contribute and to participate in it. We love you. We thank you for being the hope of the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.